0: You are listening to Giro Vagando, the cycling podcast at the 2021 Giro d'Italia, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Today, we are in Sega diala.
1: Well,
2: Daniel, we yes, can Richard. finally unveil mystery. Our, mystery our mystery signing. signing. And it's,
3: unfortunately, it's not Patrick Lefebvre. It's someone who has a few has various things in common with Patrick Lefebvre, actually. Former team manager, former major team manager, a um, bit of a bon vivant, more than a bit of a bon vivant. Um, he's, younger, he's
2: younger than Patrick Lefebvre. Got a few more years in him yet, uh, Brian Nygaard, We've he's we've back. completed the circle because you joined us on our first Giro Giro watch podcast he's in Milan. Back. In watch out, Turin. wine budget in <laughs> Turin. Uh, well, Brian, it's great to have you back um, because uh, we will let you speak in a moment as well. But <laughs> Daniel leaves on Friday for the Dauphiné, so you'll be, unfortunately, yeah, you'll be uh, you'll be carrying us through to. Milan, Welcome. actually, I actually
4: didn't know that when I signed up for this, Richard. I'm sorry.
2: Well, I'm sorry. You know now. It's you know a, surely now. it's a further incentive. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to take the podcast to a new level, Brian, you and me, once Daniel's
4: left.
3: So He's been holding us it back.
2: Do- He's like a handbrake on the podcast. Does Brian get to
3: do the... Well, where are we, Brian? Where Is are we, Brian? Become?
4: Well, Richard, we're in Sigrid uh, Today, I actually think, was a wine stage, at least looking at the scenery and everything, but for once, uh, the bike racing actually was way more relevant than the vineyards.
3: Nonetheless, we we do have to say as a point of order what we're drinking, Brian.
4: I was actually trying to do a blind tasting with you just before and you failed miserably, but we're drinking a traminer, uh, a local traminer from Hofstetter. So we are sort of in the outskirts of the Trentino area. I guess we have the Lago Ligada just on the other side, but we are in a very, very nice wine area for a lot of different varietals mainly whites and that's what we're having now
2: well you know we're driving through all these beautiful vineyards and you were telling us all about irrigation and things while Bernal's struggling to hold the wheel in front no no our eyes have been all right with have him been.
3: lecturing me about the oak in using <laughs> brunella the other day when remco venipol was losing the giro d'italia our eyes
2: have been very much on the race because well we've got a, a race on our hands oh, haven't finally we finally we had a proper da, even Daniel, giro d'italia even
3: what do you mean? Even well, you, even Daniel, been, you, I, you hadn't been finding no, the not, racing all
2: I, that captivating, had you? No,
3: and for exactly. exactly the reasons, well, it was demonstrated today what a Giro stage in Myers should be like and, you know, what it is like when the, there's a race behind and at the front. And that's what we saw today. And it was a fantastic sort of, well, tug of war between the breakaway and the... The general classification guys behind and actually the breakaway still won out but it didn't feel anything like it has done over the last few days when the breakers won. I,
2: I suspect very few um, riders could have survived the onslaught from behind in the way that Dan Martin did. He won the stage, but that's a spoiler alert because the stage 17 from Kanatze to Sega de Ala uh, with a really tough climb at the end and the, the nature of that climb was to prove pretty significant. Some riders had wrecked it, some had not. Um, and that maybe had an impact today. Um, but a, a big, well, it took a while for the break to go clear. Se- several riders had a go, including lucky Larry Warbass. Uh, he had a good go, but... Not to be confused with lucky Lorenzo.
3: Lorenzo, more of whom later. Of him later.
2: Um, I think he did make it into a move at one point, didn't he? But a, a big breakaway form, some really good riders in it. King of the Mountains, Jeffrey Bouchard, Jenny Moscon from Ineos, Dries De Bont was there. He's in every breakaway. Um, Louis Leon Sanchez, Felix uh, Grossartner. I'm just uh, reeling off a few uh, of the of the hitters who were there. James Knox of the Cycling Podcast, he was there. Peter Serry, his De Kooning Quick Step teammate. Um, Dan Martin was there. Young Matteo Jorgensen was there. Um, Anyone else? Antonio Pedrero was there. Uh, there were a few others as well. Um, it was a strong group. Um, they got a decent advantage, but behind Bike Exchange were doing an awful lot. Your former team, one of your former teams, Brian, they were doing an awful lot of work on the front, and I think there was a bit of confusion about that or people wondering why, because Simon Yates has been very erratic at this Giro. Um, you know, great one day, not so so great the next day, but obviously I had a lot of confidence in him today. Um Put a lot of work into into today, and, and you could argue that it maybe paid off in the end. There was a there was a bad crash in in, in the stage that also disrupted things. Uh, Remco Evenepoel, more bad luck for him. He finished the stage with a very swollen elbow, so who knows whether he will continue. A um, couple of bike exchange riders came off there. Nick Schultz, who's been riding extremely well, Mikhail Nievi came down too, and Giulio Ciccone of uh, Trek Segafredo, and he paid for that later on. Um, by the, when they reached the the climb up to the finish. Um, the, the, that front group had been reduced to just four strong riders Dan Martin Bouchard King of the Mountains Pedrero and Moscon but Martin did not hang about he really turned the screw early on in the climb took off on his own the gap now was down to sort of two minutes and, and it looked like if we had a proper GC battle behind Martin would not hold on but Hold on, he did, and he won the stage. Um, but behind, there was a lot of excitement. Into the final four kilometres, and with Jonathan Castro Viejo doing a lot of work, but not really um, riding too hard. He was just keeping Dan Martin at a, about a minute and a half. Um, it was a 4K to go. Joao Almeida um, put an attack. He was the first of the GC riders to really have a go. Simon Yates countered. Bernal was straight on to him. So was uh, Danny Martinez. Uh, Damiano Caruso who started the day second rode at his own pace and that was to prove a, a sensible strategy because Bernal paid for the effort of following Yates who bridged up very quickly to Almeida and uh, well we saw the first signs of weakness from Bernal, he, he cracked a little bit and it, it wasn't clear whether he'd just gone too deep following Yates or he'd had some kind of hunger flat, he said after the stage that it wasn't that, that it was a, uh, he'd gone too deep, he didn't know the climb he had not reckoned the climb. Yates and Dan Martin had both reckoned the climb, and Dan Martin in particular said how valuable that had been. Interestingly,
3: a few days ago when Bernal was asked about, I think it was the Zonkolan, he almost suggested that he's ideologically opposed to reckoning climbs. In this Reckoning? Right. I'm, I always struggle with that word. Reckoning, reconnoitring. In a similar way to, uh, to Pantani, Pantani was always dead against. I mean, back then in the nineties, it was less in vogue anyway. A few riders used to do it. I think Pantani re- recon. MotoGP
2: going on here. It's this, yes, uh, is this yes. Carl Crotchler on his way to see Remco Evenepoel.
3: <laughs> I think um, today I might think not be the right day to do this door. No, no. Um, I think Pantani. Back in his day, he reckoned two climbs at uh, Piani Monte Campione, where he famously overcame Pavel Tonkov, and, and maybe the other one, with the Mortirolla, but there were, only, there were only two, and um, he didn't believe in it either. But
2: didn't believe um, in it. Well, we, yeah. we saw a cracking GC race. Bernal was, was dropped, and he, uh, for a moment, it looked like he really had cracked completely. Danny Martinez dropped back and was cajoling him on, shouting at him, urging him on. Um, was, there's was some great pictures of that um, meanwhile Almeida and Yates carried on riding hard, Almeida actually dropped um, Yates towards the line and he finished second on the stage to Dan Martin, he was closing pretty fast, um, so on the stage it was Dan Martin, Joao Almeida Simon Yates, Diego Ulisi, uh, and then Caruso who gained three seconds on Bernal, just three seconds um, and on GC now Bernal, Caruso Yates, Vlasov, Carthy, Bardet I mean He's not in. He's not in that much of a worse situation tonight. Um, but Yates has obviously was the big winner today.
4: Yeah, I think I would like to to qualify a little bit the, the reconnaissance or the absence of it in in Bernal's case. That I don't really think that would change the type of legs you have. You have they have access to so much information and they know exactly the steepness of the climb and the length of the climb, and they obviously also know themselves. So I think Bernal cracked today not because of the lack of recon because because he was in real trouble. And the, the interesting element today was that at some point, I think Almeida went just for the heck of it, but I think um, Simon Yates saw something. He saw a sink in the armour, he saw some weakness in Banal, and that's why he went. So strategically, it was the right moment for them to put pressure on Banal. and they saw something that, that I don't think anyone else saw, at least not uh, as a spectator, that, that he was definitely in real trouble today.
2: The gaps are still, you know, still 221 to Caruso, 323 to Yates um, Vlasov uh, lost some time but held on to fourth overall today Carthy was a bit of a, a loser today from, dropped a yeah, fifth
3: from the point of view of GC it was kind of the wrong guy to be attacking Bernal if you were neutral and you wanted to see the race as open as possible until the end it needed to be Caruso didn't it and Caruso I don't think he was on a particularly great day and he wasn't able to capture I think we
2: got confirmations today that Caruso would like to finish on the podium I mean that that okay he was riding in a very sensible pragmatic way too and maybe in the only way he could ride but the podium is definitely something he's aiming for here
4: and rightfully so he came into this I think to be to play the second fiddle for Landa so this is a phenomenal result for him if he should end on the podium and I think his team would be happy with it. Pope Landa, Pope Caruso.
0: Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rights that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights and personalized analytics. We are here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. The Cycling Podcast, powered by Super Sapiens.
2: Thanks very much indeed to our title sponsor, Super Sapiens. Very grateful to them for their support. They are all about energy management for committed athletes. Um, And we're all athletes and we can all use Super Sapiens. And we've been running... Yes, Daniel. Yes, yes, Daniel. Yes, we could all benefit from monitoring our blood glucose levels. And uh, we've been uh, running a competition in conjunction with Super Sapiens um, to offer three months of Super Sapiens to anybody who uh, has got a cycling goal, and ambition they want to achieve, and they think Super Sapiens might be able to help them achieve it. Let's hear our latest entrants tonight. We've got two tonight. Um uh, let's hear their pitch to win Super Sapiens.
5: Hi, my name is Kai.
2: And my name is Alfie.
5: And we go to Auckland's College.
3: Where we train every day of the week between two to four hours.
5: My goal for this year is to get onto the Team Nova Nordis development team and progress onto the under-23 scene.
3: And my goal for this year is to get top ten in one of the national series races.
5: The reason why we should get picked is because I myself use something like the Super Sapiens. Because I'm a type 1 diabetic, I use a Dexcom G6 to regularly monitor my blood glucose levels while out on the road. So if we do win this, Alfie can wear the Super Sapien and we can compare on how exercise affects a non-diabetic and a diabetic while out riding.
3: Also I can use this to analyse my blood sugar levels and what affects it when I'm out training to stop bonking in the future.
5: I hope you enjoyed, and I'll see you later.
2: Bye. Thanks very much for that. And uh, if you would like to enter competition, there's still time. Go to thecyclingpodcast.com uh, to find out how to enter. Just send your audio clip through thecyclingpodcast.com. Daniel, yes, Bernal, Bernal, the big story today.
3: Well, certainly. And I suppose over the last few days, he'd we'd kind of re-elevated him. To the sort of realm, the dimension of the pogachars and the roglics, we'd sort of perhaps um, well reevaluated what we'd been saying about him over the last you know year or so. Uh, we'd 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 seen him as vulnerable. We'd seen him as not really belonging in that sort of super or category um, in the same way that those guys are certainly in it. But then um, he he looked invulnerable, and we didn't envisage seeing any vulnerabilities between now and Milan, and we we kind of always fall into this trap in Grand Tours, you know, we
4: You certainly do <laughs> no, we, we Brian do. nodding I mean,
2: enthusiastically
3: You know, we become very sort of complacent and blasé about the guy who's in the jersey uh, you know, it's a glass
4: half full kind but of Is that, uh, no, is that not a
2: legacy of, you know, the, 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 these dynasties that you talk about Daniel when we go through periods where a rider like Chris Froome goes several years without ever looking that vulnerable. But we are in a period now where there isn't a dynasty. We're not in the middle of a dynasty. We're in quite an exciting period where there are riders out there who could could begin to form a dynasty. I I,
3: I think another thing we overlook is how much now... Grand tours and grand tour directors, re- route designers stack all the drama towards the back end. And the teams are very, very aware of that now. And the riders are very, very aware of that now. And they calculate, they calibrate their energy expenditure on the basis of that.
4: Yeah, and I think also they, when they do their course management, they intelligently try to figure out the specific stages where they can gain time. And you could even say, I mean, he's cushioned himself rather well, but now you know, in, in the first part of this Giro, And the reason why he would do that is not, I think, just because of the potential of losing some ground on the time trial, it's actually to make sure that, should he have a bad day or or, or consecutive bad days, he still has a reasonable margin. So I don't think, it's it's not an ego thing when he goes out to gain time in in the initial part of the Giro, is to cushion himself for situations like today. I think the bigger question is now is, was, was today a symptomatic reveal of his current state? You know, are there more options for the other guys to to really take another go another round with him and put him into trouble? There's blood in the water tonight. There's blood in the
2: water, but what's fascinating is, uh, is to see si- Simon Yates' resurgent because, of course, this is exactly what happened to him in 2018. Yeah, it is. Although I'm very conscious, you made
3: a good point the other day, Rich, about what? as always. Well, yeah, you did. About as always, you know, we always focus on the the pink jersey, the leader of the general classification, and we forget these um these sort of fringe marginal uh, battles before the minor placings essentially and you know we talked the other day about how ef education first their big move their big statement um charlie regalius didn't like us calling it a statement or didn't like you calling it a statement but it was um it was a very successful move in that it put yates out the back and they gained a couple of minutes today the tables will turn you know forget about what Bernal did yates put You know, how much did he put between himself and Carthy and um, he certainly...
4: He turned the table.
3: Yeah, he did. I mean, uh, they landed a major blow on that front. Well, Well, I mean,
2: Yates has got almost three minutes now on Carthy.
3: Yeah. So that was a hugely successful move brought about by, well, the team chasing, putting... Okay, you could look at it and say, well, they wanted the stage win and they almost reeled the break back. But more importantly, they put Carthy on the
2: ropes. And Caruso is still there, isn't he? I mean, when he caroused up to Bernal, having uh, having initially been dropped, I-, I thought there's a chance here for Caruso to-, to go past him, but he didn't, you know, he, he was very much, he's riding that climb in a very sensible way. But I will ask you a question. Who finished fourth in the final time trial of the Giro two uh, years ago? Damiano Caruso. <laughs> well done, Daniel. Fantastic. You win a prize.
3: Damiano Caruso, who's won one professional race in his entire career, well, I think also
4: the way he interprets uh, the what is now his, his G C ambition is to make as few mistakes as possible. I think that's how he goes about trying to finalize that last, you know,
2: attempt to be on the podium. He's got a great chance of being on the podium now, hasn't he?
3: Yes he has. I spoke to the team Bar in Victorious's Technical Director Vladimir Miholovich After the finish, he was down at the bus compound. Um, just about, well, what he he made of Caruso's performance today, and where they go from here. What was Damiano telling you today about how he was feeling, and what messages were, were they getting in the car?
1: You know, it's uh, I I am not sport director. I, I am here in a different role. You know, but uh, with Damiano, Damiano is always positive. You no, know, always positive. Very nice guy, and uh, his influence in in the team is very very good and nice and somebody who drives th- forward with, with mood also and uh, in situation like this you're also afraid a bit to ask how do you feel what do you think no so uh, you're observing we are observing rider uh, his body language his, uh, his way of behavior and when you see that somebody put the music on the, on the speaker in the bus full gas on say, okay, everything is in place. Let's go outside. We, we did our job. They know how we stage, we know how, how stage is in front of us and let's stick to the plan and uh, hope to the best. What was the music? Can you remember? I, uh, they, 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 today was some, uh, some dance house oh, what is, yeah a bit, uh, bit out of my range. So it is not rock. Uh, it is not uh, something what I, I get emotion. But uh, I'm very happy because it's positive for the guys. And when Bernal started to drop back,
3: it looked as though for a second as though he might collapse completely, as we saw years ago with, I don't know, Cadell Evans in 2002. Were you thinking that as well?
1: Yeah, look, uh, fortune of Bernal is that he had Danny Martinez. No, We had Pedro Bilbao. So uh, this is all the great uh, teammates uh, that can... They could be the leaders also, but when you have helpers like this, they save your, they save you, you no? Know, save the team. But uh, yeah, uh, for sure, you know, at the end, this climb, uh, hard as it is, it's uh, a lot in, in mental game, no? So for sure, when Damiano saw the the Bernal dropping, he gained three four watts because he was dropped before the Bernal, no? So yeah, that uh, that hard climbs uh, was a bit l- hard. Part of the climb was a bit more l- longer, a bit longer. I think that Damiano today was able to drop uh, Egan, uh, but let's hope that he will be able to do that in the next stages. And just finally, am I right in thinking you're pretty confident
3: that Damiano is someone who usually gets doesn't get better, but doesn't get a lot worse
1: in the third week? Yeah, this is the rule. But uh, uh, this is historically watching, yes, it's correct, No, but uh, you know, you're always a bit cautious. As a team, we are doing everything to save the rider from any, any problems, health problems, uh, extra stress, uh, save his body and his mind with special attention. What we are giving all the team, because at the end we stayed with only five riders and uh, and uh, Rafa was uh, had a hard crash today in the descent so we need to see and he's riding ready with with broken broken ribs and ribs yeah so so we we need to see how he will be able to to continue but uh, yes regularity is characteristic of Damiano no until now and let's hope that it will be also now
3: Chaps, I found out something interesting about very interesting about Caruso today, or I had my memory jogged. Maybe I knew this already. His father was a policeman, but he was deployed in the early 90s or late 80s. As a bodyguard, or as part of the sort of um, the group of bodyguards, or um, what do you call it? Um, When the the bodyguards? No, when the police. uh, When there's a a division of special guards, special, uh, some kind of special division um, to look after the very famous Italian judge Giovanni Falcone, the the anti-mafia prosecutor um, who was killed in a bombing on the uh, motorway between the Palermo airport and Palermo in 1992. During the giro. During the giro well it was the anniversary um, on Sunday and uh, you know it's it's an occasion that's honoured every year in Italy um, the president Mattarella gave a speech the other day and um, one of the great heroes in Italian modern history um, he was killed in this bombing the other his sort of partner in fighting crime um, Paolo Borsellino was, was killed a few weeks later but yeah Caruso's father was one of I don't know whether at the actual time of Falcone's death he was fulfilling that role but certainly over the course of his career that was one of the
2: roles that he fulfilled
4: a real hero
3: yeah yeah
2: i'm I'm searching for some kind of parallel but it's not coming to me immediately maybe it will later on um of course is very he's very proud of his sicilian roots i mean he's talked to this
3: he's talked about this at length um people ask him why he doesn't go and live in lugano or monte carlo and you know we've we've Talked at great length in the podcast over the years about Sicily and its problems, and he's very conscious of that. Um, Caruso as well, and he says that leaving to go and pay less tax in Switzerland or in Monte Carlo would be like turning his back on Sicily, and that is that would sort of encapsulate and demonstrate why Sicily has the problems it does, because you know people turn their back on it, and the, the Italian government has turned its back on Sicily.
2: Well another um interview I did at the at the buses was rod Ellingworth uh, the well he's returned to team Ineos from Bahrain, of course he was running the Bahrain team last year, but he's gone back to team Enos not not quite to his old job to something a little bit different um although the job titles change there a lot so I'm not quite sure what his current job title is but um I was very keen to speak to him about Bernal um how he's found him because of course he worked with him a couple of years ago the year that he won the Tour de france um and uh, you know we were speaking before Bernal's um, difficult difficulties on the climb, and it was quite interesting uh, what Rod said about every day at the at the Giro in particular being being so important. You were at the team in 2019. Uh, how does the Bernal that we're seeing here at the Giro compared to the Bernal in the 2019 tour?
6: Well, I I wasn't working at the tour then. I'd, I'd actually left just before. But you know, I'd known Egan when he first joined the team, and I think. Uh, he certainly moved on himself. Person, you know, his his own personality has moved on. He's got a lot sort of more confident in in, um, in in himself. You know, I mean, he certainly started at the beginning of this year, and he was, you know, uh, he, he had a tough year last year. So he certainly, you know, he wasn't so confident at the beginning of the year, which I think is natural, really. But <clears throat> just here, I've been so impressed with, you know, he's you, got that physical element, but just how he is mentally, he's just superb. You know, and the way. he... <clears throat> the way he treats everybody um riders staff um but you know in the rider meetings he's, oh, he's he, you know he's he's absolutely bang on the money he he really understands it all he's very good tactically um you know and he and he just knows how to get the best out of his team so fair play to him yeah it seems like you're not
2: uh, he's not taking anything for granted here you know there's still the time trial he's clearly the best rider in the race
6: but mm. it looks like he's keen to not take any chances at all before that time trial on Sunday. Well, I think it's just the nature of the Giro, isn't it? You know, you just never know what's around the corner, really. And all these, you know, all these descents are always a bit dangerous. And um, just the nature of the Giro in in general, you know, you get big groups always go away, which you don't seem to get in the other gun tours. So you know, you just I, I think we're just taking it day by day. You know, and then this is the the dangerous moment for us, really. You're only a few days away from. From the final, and I think if you take the eye off the ball, you get into trouble, you know. So, um, so it's, I think everybody, staff and riders, were all staying on it, a hundred percent.
2: How it's a it's an unanswerable question in a way, but how would how would he match
6: up in this form to Pogacar and Roglic? Who knows? Who knows? Uh, you know, it's it's one of them, isn't it? I think everybody would look forward to the moment when they all sort of race together so I think Egan's again one of the greats I think you know he's already proved that and I think you can see that that day in the rain the other day again you know he was really on top of things the cold didn't affect him I think the best ones are brilliant at that sort of stuff aren't they so I think he you know he's he's right on the money do you think he'll ride the tour next year who knows? We haven't talked that far. You know, at the end of the day, he's in the Giro. That's what, that was his target this year. So that's what that's as far as we get, really, yeah.
0: The Cycling Podcast at the 2021 Giro d'Italia is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport. Fueled by science.
2: Thanks very much indeed to Science in Sport, our sponsor. I bet Brian knows the Science in Sport code. C.P. 25. S.I.S. C.P. 25. Better than Close Daniel. Close enough. S.I.S. C.P. 25 at scienceandsport.com if you'd like 25% off all your science and sport uh, goodies. Goodies, is that the right term? Um, sports nutrition products. Scienceandsport.com, S.I.S. C.P. 25. And we're running a competition with science and sport to uh, win an £80 bundle of science and sport products. Every Sunday, um, if you can uh, go to the cyclingpodcast.com and predict the winner of Sunday's stage, you will be in with a chance. If you successfully predict the winner of the stage, you'll be in with a chance of winning an £80 bundle of science and sport goodies. I should re- I should mention before we go on, the second batch of Stacey Snyder's mugs, cappuccino sets and gelato bowls went on sale today and they sold out, as they always do. So lots of money raised for the Marina Romilly Onlus, the Marina Romilly Foundation, um and the masaka cycling club in southern uganda so those two great causes will benefit thanks to your generosity and to all those who got bowls mugs and cappuccino sets congratulations and we hope you enjoy them to those who missed out we're very sorry but we'll be doing more at the tour de france of course um we should mention the wine as well i mean you mentioned the wine stage today it should have been the wine stage daniel um we've uh, we combined with uh uh Divine Cellars in London to uh, well you you curated a case of wine with Greg from Divine uh, a Giro case and it's been uh, still available very and will be available
3: all year um, indeed and we'll be unveiling our Tour de France selection soon our Vuelta selection, um, details about those are on our website
2: aren't they Richard thecyclingpodcast.com that's right yes, um, so Dan Martin uh, a, a great stage win for him another breakaway survivor but this one a little bit different wasn't it and he uh, i mean he he's a gc rider on his day and uh, uh, the way that he went about winning that stage was was impressive as he said in the press conference he had wrecked the climb and um, he knew how steep it was in parts and he knew how to sort of judge his effort he knew not to go too deep in that steep part to have a bit left over the top he reckoned he only needed 20 30 seconds with about 3ks to go when it flattened out a bit Um, He judged it perfectly in the end because he was almost caught and it
4: was a very well-taken stage win. Surgical precision. I was noticing the way the team communicated what their ambitions were initially before the Giro and they said they wanted to do GC with Dan Martin and when you guys interviewed him, he was more than on the fence. I think he was more, it's a classic quote, I guess, the day-to-day approach and it seemed like he was really gunning for the stage and and I think he managed it with real surgical precision at the end.
3: It was a good omen when, at 7.7 kilometers from the finish, a giant panda appeared at the side of the road. Of course, the giant panda, which became synonymous with his victory at Liège-Bastogne-Liège. Um, Do you think it was the same sort of one? Cha- oh, it could have been. It sort of chased him up that final climb to An you know, not, the, the, not the only. that we don't really miss. <laughs>
2: not, not the only cycling celebrity spot today. You saw Primoz Roglic at the, oh at yeah, the buses, I mean, Daniel. Yes. Uh, a doppelganger, yeah. A doppelganger. Um, a gentleman in the Slovenian champion Jumbo Visma jersey carrying a few extra pounds, perhaps. Um, maybe, I mean, more than, more than Roglic. I don't maybe want to, to fact shame this to. gentleman. But
3: that stage win, of course, completed Dan's set of stage wins in all three major tours. And, um, you know what a career he's had, one Tour of Lombardy, one Liege Baston Liege, maybe not someone, he's not been an era-defining rider but he's certainly been one of the very, very best riders of the, the last generation and uh, versatile, has been successful on various different terrains, Has. Has always repaid his team's faith, you know, not necessarily in every single Grand Tour or every single Classic, but over the course of a contract, over two years, he's always pulled out something. And in the, in the most exalted company as well, you know, today he beat, um, he, he headed off Yates and, well, a, a sort of resurgent Yates. Diamond and legs Almeida. Yates, and that takes some doing. Only, you know, the, the very best at their art are able to do that, and Danny's among the best.
2: Final point on today then, chaps. We, As you said, blood in the water, Daniel. But is, is the Giro open again? I mean, the, the gaps are pretty significant. It would take an almighty collapse from Bernal. Um, but is there enough there to give the likes of Simon Yates in particular some hope? Well, there were echoes. I know
3: Bike Exchange don't like us mentioning it. but Well, maybe the, they will now. Well, maybe were, they will. There were echoes, Rich. I mean... If you remember Prato Nevoso in two thousand and
4: eighteen and it was the know, first sign, wasn't it? Well
3: the podcast we did that night was probably quite similar. We were saying similar things then about Simon Yates that we're saying about Bernal. And you it know? only
4: took you a couple of years to forget it.
3: Well, were <laughs> the, the first hints, weren't that? And and we said then that momentum in Grand Tours is you know, it's always important. It's it's difficult to turn that oil tanker around. Although, as a slight disclaimer to that, behind Bernal in this Giro we've seen you know Carthy have a good day then a bad day we've seen Yates have a good day then a bad day and it has been that kind of race
2: and And, and Yates even today looked great for and and Bernal talked about how just how savage his his attacks were but in the end he couldn't hold on to Almeida and had he done so I'd feel a bit more confident about his form and his chances but
4: I I think there's a general agenda here that I I think we should address because I think the the way it's a little bit of a Rorschach test to to how you look at life also that sometimes some journalists of people who follow the sport they have a tendency to close the book on a bike race five days before it's done and I don't are we so easily bored do we lack the imagination that everything could change have we seen so much bike racing that we just become numb to all, all su- of those things, to, to surprises all of the all of the above no, I, you know, having worked in the sport and and having I think in a major way refound my passion for, for getting excited about racing. I love that we find ourselves so wrong sometimes that we, you know, especially, in the Giro and in, and after days like today, the, we were at the edges, we were at the edge of our seat, and we thought, oh, it's just maybe it's just going to gain a little bit more time. You had him as a favorite to win the, the bike race. I mean, the tables can and they might yeah. turn, uh, and and I think in. In Cycling and in life, we, we I think we have to be a bit more welcoming about
1: that.
3: Yeah, and I think there is an, a definite tendency as time goes by towards hastiness and rashness in, in our judgments. I remember a couple of years ago with Carapaz, um, you know, no one was really mentioning him after 10 days, and people were already sort of fitting Roglic for the final pink jersey in Milan, or they were. Uh, they considered it a foregone conclusion, and they probably were the tour as well with him last year, weren't they? Well, yeah, the, the Tour de France last year was a classic example, wasn't it? But um, Brian, you, when we picked you up at the station in Trento today, immediately, immediately, um, you were sort of scowling, frowning at me, and you were you were ready to take exception to my, well, my pretty sort of lukewarm analysis of this Giro so far, um, which, you know, if you watched our video last night, um, I, I reiterated that, that I don't think it's been a great Giro. As I said at the start of the show today, because we haven't had enough stages like today. We haven't had enough stages where the whole narrative of the day was knitted together and interlaced, and there were lots of different plots playing out simultaneously and not, you know... 10 kilometers apart with the brake doing one thing and the GC group doing another.
4: Right, but with three mountain stages to go, at least when you pick me up today at the train station, the possibility was still there. And I I, I guess it also depends a little bit what we're looking for. I know that these days uh, end up defining the bike race because they're fantastic and everyone gets very excited about it. But I also think it depends on what you're looking for. I was the last time, I was texting you about wine on the day, but when I was in Montalcino, I thought it was wonderful bike racing. And when I saw the other victories of some of the Grand Tour stage winning debutants, I think it's very touching to see that as well. I think there's so many other sub-narratives that makes for a great race. I don't have to see five days of GC arm wrestle to, to Today be Today felt
3: like a chase. Today felt like a race. Yeah, it was not it? Wasn't there haven't been enough days like that. It felt like it was on behind. There was an intensity to it. I mean, the, the weather really helped. Uh, you know, unfortunately, this race has been absolutely cursed with gloomy dark skies and it never really feels like a grand tour when you get that relentlessly day after day today felt like we were at the jury's highly there was color there was you know there were vineyards there were there were vibrant dark greens and you know it was a a fantastic technical show
4: but you should also you should probably w- hold judgment until, you know, it's usually pretty gloomy in Milano either way, but you should hold judgment until we get there. There's always the possibility, and I think it's a lesson for life, Daniel. Really, there's always a but chance. But for
2: Daniel, the Giro finishes on Friday, so maybe that's what he was, uh, his fine. sights were He's set He's on, on his way out. There was a nice little plug there from Brian, inadvertent, for today's Kilometer to Zero, all about the stage winners, some of the surprise stage winners <laughs> in this year's race, and we speak to a few of them, including Joe Dombrowski, who's who's been home now for the best part of two weeks, but we caught up with him and that's available, uh, Kilometre Zero, support by Super Sapiens, of course. Um, Unfortunately, given all this uh, enthusiasm and exuberance for the race, we have to now debunk one of the great romantic stories of this Giro. The idea that George Bennett, having ridden the Zoncalan on his way back down, then accompanied his teammate Eduardo Affini back up the mountain. There was a a, a wonderful picture of this uh, captured by Jared Gruber. We spoke to both Afini and Bennett this morning.
3: Yes, Rich, George Bennett speaking to me and our friends from Bidon this morning about not only the Afini incident on the Zonkolan, but also another famous photo, famous, it's become famous in the last 48 hours, him crossing the line in... Cortina with a musette slung over his shoulder like a, a London bicycle messenger, um, and also talking about what a disappointment this Giro d'Italia has been for him personally. I mean, I came here to ride the GC, and um, I just really was exposed with, with with
7: a big you know a big weakness of mine being you know how cold it was, and, and those conditions really uh, killed me. And I really had good legs coming in, and I really had quite good belief in myself. The team backed me, and, and uh, you know it all sort of evaporated um, and and every mountain day has been except for the Zonkalon has been really cold and raining and and terrible so yeah I just uh, once I was out of the GC you know it, it took a few days to try and Put that behind me and, and deal with the, you know, the reality of the situation that, that I wasn't going to be in the GC anymore. And, and then, you know, I'm here now help Tobias, um, and, and also, but yeah, no, I just want to try and get a stage win and, and see if I can get anything out of this Giro and, you know, make the most.
8: And you, you were in one of the most iconic pictures of this Giro with Eduardo. <laughs> uh, can you tell us a little bit more of that moment on Yeah, I, I
7: started hearing stories that people thought I rode the Zongol on twice. I mean, mate, I hardly made it up there once. I did not ride the Zongol on twice. But uh, I just, when uh, you know, Edo did a huge job that day and, and I saw him coming up, I just wanted to turn around and uh, firstly thank him for, for what he did. How we rode, uh, and also just apologise for, for for not winning the stage. I mean, uh, yeah, and, and uh, I guess somehow that transcribed into me riding
3: the Zonkler on twice. How far did you ride with him, George? I, I don't know, a couple hundred metres. Uh, the other picture that everyone's talking about is you finishing with a musette the other day. Um, any story? Anything to tell about that? Oh, I got a musette with warm clothes
7: at the top, and I uh, looked in everything. I put the jacket, got the jacket, got the buff, and uh, the rest was an undershirt. And I wasn't going to stop and strip down. I just kept it on. I was just cruising to the finish line and didn't really think uh, much of it. But <laughs> um, you know how these things go. Um, I'm, I'm learning. Uh, yeah, I'm learning how they go.
6: <laughs> you are still enjoying this. more than ever.
7: I mean, despite the despite. You know, I, I mean, without sounding too dramatic i mean this has been one of the most disappointing you know expectation versus reality differentials in my, in my life it's been extremely disappointing to how i how i rode and um, and those times are hard of course but in general like i still enjoy doing it i'm still happy to ride my bike today i'm still excited to be in the Giro, and you know i'm already looking forward to to my next big goals to tokyo looking at preparation talking getting things ready for this and you just have to keep looking ahead and keep finding things that excite you. And, and as long as I'm still excited doing it, I still, I like it more now that I'm a better rider than I did when I was young. And I was just getting my head kicked in. Yeah, this is uh, this has been actually a big thing in the last few days. Uh, it, it went a little bit out of hand, and uh, just to make it clear, I think it prob- we probably did together 50 meters, or maximum 100 meters. Just
2: tell the, the story.
7: Yeah, th- I mean, it's it's nice to romanticize about cycling. I still believe that is a really nice gesture from him and I've really really said to him thank you for, uh, for for what he has done, but yeah, it's also, even if you just think about it logically, it's not possible to make two times the Zronkolan, so. Well,
2: that was George Bennett and then Eduardo Affini, um, so, well, Bennett said about 200 metres, Affini said about 50 metres, well, we'll, we'll split the difference, shall we? Um, you also spoke to somebody else at the start this morning, Daniel.
3: Yes, I did, Rich. Uh, Lucky Lorenzo, Lorenzo Fortunato, the winner at Lodzoncolan the other day. has been a fixture in the mix zone um, after charming us both on Zoncolan and with his press conference afterwards. Today, we were talking about his education, um, his degree at Bologna University, and then he shocked us, he surprised us with this. I did my thesis on oxygen and cycling basically so EPO in sport, doping and the biological passport I got my degree in 2019 from Bologna University degree in sports science I mean obviously I chose a sensitive subject but that's why I chose it as a cyclist and as a sports science undergraduate it seemed like the most current, most burning question to focus on I also had a chemistry professor who was a big cycling fan and she had some input. So doping, the biological passport and EPO, they were the main topics. Obviously I wasn't advocating doping, the opposite in fact. I grew up watching cycling when doping was a huge issue, but I have to say that I haven't come into contact with it as a rider myself. Fortunately when I turned pro, the biological passport had been in place for a while and I've honestly never had any experience of doping. I've just studied it, I'm part of a different generation. So a thesis in or on EPO and um, the biological passport and doping, but you know, there are riders, well there have been riders in the past, certainly those who rode 10 or 15 years ago, who who probably could also have, um, have written a pretty decent thesis on EPO.
2: Yes indeed Daniel, um, they could. Uh, he also spoke to another rider not at the race anymore sadly, Alessandro De Marque, who spent a couple of days in the pink jersey and then suffered a terrible crash and on crashes by the way just had a message from Trek Segafredo three of their riders went down in that crash today. Nibali went down as well um, and he has had x-rays uh, on his humerus but He's okay. He's, he's, had pretty, he's been in the wars a bit, hasn't he, Nibali? But I
3: think he fell on the same side, his mm-hmm. right side, that he obviously had injured before the Giro and broke his wrist, didn't he, before the Giro. So it's not been easy for him. What about uh, Remco? Any updates on him? Because, of course, he crashed as well. I mean, he crashed on the Passo uh, San Valentino, and it's not been love at first sight um, for Remco as far as the Giro d'Italia has, concer- has been concerned.
2: No, it's been a baptism of fire. I saw Patrick Lefebvre uh, say that his, he thought his ego would Not have even a taken flicker, a The pass San dent.
3: Valentino. Love at first sight. Not even a flicker. Oh, God. Sorry. Not even a flicker.
2: I'm sorry. Sorry. <laughs> sorry about that. Uh, I was giving you a serious answer. Uh, Anyway, shall we hear from uh, someone else you spoke to Well, yes,
3: one of the names, one of the figures, one of the personalities of the Giro d'Italia, certainly in its first half, the pink jersey for two days, Alessandro De Marchi, teammate of the stage winner, of course, Dan Martin. And um, yeah, I checked in with Alessandro today, partly because he was supposed to feature heavily in my Kilometre Zero on... The Friuli region. Um, a couple of days ago, Alessandro hails from there. He's very proud of his Friulano roots, and um, yeah, I gave him a call today to see how he was getting on.
8: The main problem is the um, is around the, the thoracic uh, area. So I, I had a, a big uh, big contusion on the lung, and then uh, I, I had broke I, I broke. Uh, around the uh, six ribs uh, and then also the the collarbone and this is uh, the most uh, painful and problematic uh, situation so I'm gonna need a bit of time for the ribs and uh, we did um, we decide to, to not uh, not go for the surgery for the collarbone so uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be really easy for a uh, at least uh, for three weeks uh, for the for the collarbone, and uh, meanwhile I I hope to be to be okay for the ribs. That's uh, that's it.
3: And more important, Alessandro, to talk to me about your emotions and how um, well how they've been over the last two or three days, and particularly with the. I mean, originally I was going to speak to you about Friuli, and we were going to do a nice interview about you know your roots in Friuli and how strong. Lee, you feel your Friulano identity, but um, obviously you had a different experience at the weekend.
8: Uh, well, yeah, in the end uh, I completely miss uh, missed this uh, amazing three three days that it could be uh, here in Friuli, and uh, I honestly really didn't didn't see the the stages because uh, not I'm uh, not uh, ready in the mind, so. Yeah, so that that's probably the, the worst uh, the worst thing because I, I was really looking for these three days in Friuli, especially after the the pink jersey. I I would I would like really to to be here to uh, to enjoy and to to, to share the the emotion with the, with my with my people and uh, and that's it. It doesn't didn't happen. Uh, I'm uh, I'm uh, I'm back home uh, a bit earlier than than uh, than expected,
3: and uh, here we are. And it was a Jira of of one huge high for you, and then lows. Well, there was the low of I, I suppose of giving, well of um, losing the pink jersey, but. Um, and then the injury. But you talked in the um, Giro d'Italia podcast about this lovely moment um, when you realised that you were going to lose the pink jersey um, on the climb. What is it, the Furca di Presta? Um And you yeah, took, totally. yeah, you took, you sort of took a couple of minutes just to, just to contemplate and just to savour um, what happened um, at Sestola. Um, has there been any more of that or in spite of the injury a little bit more time to reflect and you know, reflect on the good things about this Giro well yeah in the
8: end uh, this big injury this big crash uh, it really forced me to, uh, to to be back with the mind on that uh, on that days because I really want to to leave the Giro with um, with um, with a nice uh, nice memory so I'm gonna try to really to, to forget as soon as possible that the, the crash and the the way I, I stopped the II and the, the the Giro because um, um, I have really I, the need uh, to, to focus on on the on the good things on the the nice uh, nice things happen in the in the Giro and uh, and then yeah the two days uh, let's say three days uh, in uh, in pink have been uh, really amazing and. Uh, from, from the beginning to the end, I I really enjoyed it, and I, I had the back uh, a lot from the from the people, from uh, public, and also I mean for all the all the people on, on from, from the from the big uh, the big, uh, the big circus, no, and and that is really uh, that is really important for, for a rider
3: during the Giro when you were here you talked a bit about I mean, you mentioned a couple of times that you're in a I think you're in a new house and you were checking in at home you're excited about how the the grass was growing in your garden how's it how's it looking yeah, now it's looking really nice uh,
8: I, just, uh, I just I came back yesterday and uh, uh, I came back with, uh, with the sun so I'm just coming I was coming home and the sun was going out and uh I I went immediately on the terrace to see the the grass, and I can say that uh, it's going really well. It's going better than than my giro. So now I have a a really green uh, green grass uh, behind, and I'm really, At least I'm I'm happy for that.
3: And last thing, Alessandro, like you must be aware of how. Well, what a sort of strong emotional reaction that your pink jersey provoked and how um, you know how much support there was for you I mean, why do you think that is i i mean you've done some you've done two or three interviews over the past um, couple of years, big interviews that I think have have captured. People's attention and maybe their imagination, and they've identified with you. Maybe they identify with the setbacks that you've been through in your career. Also, your age. You know, people like to see a young, uh, sorry, an older rider kind of defying the odds. But what what is it? Do you think about you? You're probably the worst person to answer this question. But why do you think people (laughs) identify Uh, with uh, you so much? that's really
8: uh, difficult to say. But probably there is something. uh, There is a bit of something. Uh, of, of everything, a bit of everything that you said uh, to to explain this uh, this uh, this bigger reaction, uh, probably I mean the the way I I did uh, I really interpreted the cycling this year, this years, uh, maybe also the, the fact that I'm, I'm 35 years old, so uh, I cannot say that I'm a younger. Uh, and, uh, in cycling, so uh, that is also uh, another, another thing, and uh, probably also uh, the way uh, many times I, I, I lost uh, something, so I lost a race, I lost a big result, uh, I lost uh, the season uh, for injuries, or I don't know, so probably these are the, the most common thing uh, in, a, in a cyclist, and uh, In the end, it happened to me something that is not really common. So um, I think it is probably like that uh, the people like that uh, also to a guy like me can can happen something, uh, something really big, something emotional, something uh, uh, like a big, uh, a big prize, a big surprise.
3: They see you. They see you as the underdog in a certain sense. I don't yeah, if, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, that's
8: that's for sure. And um, I I can say that I I really received back uh, more than uh, what I what I did in that three days because I okay I I did, I did a nice stage on the four on the fourth stage and I I gained this uh, jersey fighting and everything, but uh, um, in the end I. I, I really do, to admit that uh, I received back uh, more than, uh, than what I did,
2: really. Well, that was Alessandro De Marchi, um, sadly missed by the race, but I guess he will have enjoyed Dan Martin's sage win. Any other business, chaps, before we sign off for the evening?
3: Well, we're staying in Rovereto tonight. Um, I've been told by John Foote, our friend, um, the historian, professor, um, scholar, that we, The Modern Art Museum in Rovereto is not to be missed, one of the best in Europe, said John, a real uh, sort of hipster. Um, under-the-radar cultural to, tip for us there. Not to
2: be missed, but I suspect we will we Well, will we probably
3: that. will. We probably won't miss the bell in Rovereto, the famous bell which was made from the melted-down guns of, I think, only the First World War, but it's it was built to commemorate the people who died in both the First World War and the Second World War. It's very famous. It's the most famous landmark in Rovereto, and I think the race is going to head out of Rovereto, past the bell, tomorrow, but we'll probably hear it. And well...
2: Yeah, chaps. Just uh, breaking news. Um, just had a diary entry from James Knox, who was in the thick of the action today. Haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, but let's uh, let's catch up with James. From the yeah, from
9: the comments I get on Twitter now, it sounds like everyone's just sick and tired of hearing me whinge and groan. So got up the road today, um, and yeah, I guess I'm pretty happy with myself. Wanted to be in the break, you know. Was actually quite nervous before the start team were putting a bit of pressure on to try and do something yeah try and get up the road and yeah it was pretty pretty scrappy pretty hard downhill headwind isn't really my uh speciality to be honest it was uh it was not really for me it was some a lot of, lot of trying and getting nowhere Mikkel and elio were around me a lot uh to try and make some effort to me to get in get in the move um, and then at one point it looked like Seri was gone and maybe that was it but there was a group sort of dangling in the middle and then I sort of latched onto Dan Martin who had a teammate to sort of drag him across and then he did a bit of a kick also to get across to the very front and yeah after a lot of flapping around into that downhill t- headwind um, and it was a pretty decent sized group I think maybe 16, 18 guys we managed to chop off enough that we got over that little bump that little 3k climb which was pretty hard Um, with a bit of an advantage over some guys who tried to come across Um, and then from there yeah we just well yeah it was actually a pretty i mean i don't know what the tv images looked like but it wasn't the most cohesive breakaway it didn't help that obviously once bike exchange started riding behind takes a lot a little bit of the sting out the emphasis Um, Moscon was sat on. Uh, Mosca from Trek was sat on. I presume they were disappointed not to get any climbers in the break. And then from there, yeah, a lot of a lot of guys in the, oh, a lot of teams, sorry, in the break had multiple riders and they sort of committed to one. You know, like Jorgensen pulled for Pejaro. The Wanty Boys pulled for Jan Hurt. And unfortunately, there was just a lot of guys trying to just sit on the back. Uh, me and Terry just tried to keep rolling through and not do anything silly, but. Yeah, it was very stop start obviously the headwind wasn't helping anyone it was pretty wasn't easy going and then yeah then it hit the climb already hurting by this point really but um dug in as much as possible um we couldn't follow the what well, i'm pretty sure it was dan martin who did the acceleration so gotta take my hat off to him today what he did there jumping a lot at the start never skipping a turn in the brake. He also changed his bike, I think. Then he made the selection on the first climb. Took a few guys. I think a couple more came back across. Which I'm surprised, but because they were just that Androni lad and the Badiani lad. Were only just had me and Seri at the top, but must have taken big risks to get back. And then, yeah, me and Seri were sort of caught in no-man-land at this point. We were with uh, Jan Hirt and Badliati with FDJ. And uh yeah, we heard that Remco had crashed and the first DS had stayed with him and then second DS basically told us uh yeah, he's going back to the group with Joao and we should just yeah wait and yeah, help Joao as much as possible. Sounding all from what we were hearing, Joao was up for it. So uh the group of the favourites caught us. Yeah, four or five K from the final climb and Seri stayed on the front, I stayed with Joao, moved him up. And, yeah, I guess pretty pretty close to the win. Uh, well, it was a pretty exceptional ride. I mean, I have to say, as much as I'd want Jao to win, Dan Martin, wow, yeah. I kind of think he sort of deserved that one the way he rode today. Um, holding everyone off, I don't think he had much more than a minute 30 or so at the bottom of the climb, and it was a hard climb. Really steep, it was maybe harder than the zonkland to be honest. It was just like a steady eight, ten, twelve percent the whole way up. Um there was a couple of little plateaus, they were nice. Lots of crowds got pushed quite a bit. That was nice, needed that. Yeah, just sort of groveled up. Um tried to spin out the day's break, but yeah, I was pretty uh pretty cooked by this point. Back was back was pretty pretty tight, pretty sore lower back. I'm not sure if that was just from pushing into that headwind, or for a little bit of a, I did bash my back a little bit on that crash a couple of days ago, um, uh, three days ago, but yeah, I was was suffering up the last climb, so, if I, yeah, even if I'd survived, I don't think I would have been going anywhere, so I can't really complain, but just happy to be up the road, happy to be in in the mix, and yeah, other than that, obviously, Remco crashed haven't actually really seen him um i got back to the bush shower changed got my food jumped in the car um but i did see him i did have to stop by the road get out of the way for the group to pass and he didn't look good and then heard from michael and you know he didn't yeah he was struggling i think you'll go to, there's a like a mobile x-ray unit that goes to the race i think he's going straight there to be checked um, of which news I've no idea. But um yeah, from my perspective, a crash on stage seventeen in your first grand tour when you're already pretty depleted, already hurting, already psychologically a bit broken. Really gonna probably finish him off, if I'm being honest. I mean we'll see, obviously, I'm not gonna can't count him out, but yeah, It's going to be hard just to get to Milan even now, uh, but obviously, Joao big time on the up. Um, one of those things, isn't there? There's been a lot of talk, um, a lot of talk about what we should have done, this and that, <coughs> but yeah, I think even Joao would say it was a bit of a, a bit of a howler now losing time or that much time like he did on Cecil. I'm not exactly sure what the. What 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 went so wrong? Um, and yeah, then with Remco second in GC for so long, it was sort of semi obliged. Yeah, I mean, we would have looked like fools if you hadn't have waited on the first on the Strada Bianca stage when he was second in GC, and then, yeah, it's all gone. Yeah. Yeah, one's going one way, one's going the other, but uh, as is life, so is life. Not much we can do about that now. Would be great to see Joao get a win. Um I think he's the man to do it in the team at the minute. Um, unless Remy can pull something spectacular out of the bag tomorrow or on the TT. Long day tomorrow, 230k. Some bumps at the end. Don't know if anyone will be up for controlling that one either, so it could be another day to try and get in the break. We'll have to try and be still active, try and get guys up the road. Yeah, other than that good day out um went from one extreme been too cold and crying about it for the last 16 stages to too hot and sweating and wishing it was cooler so yeah i mean, i just can't win can i i'm just gonna all i can do is complain which people seem to be taking note of um
3: sorry about that and can we have can we have 30 seconds of indulging Brian and maybe also myself on what we might drink tonight. We mentioned that today could have been the wine stage. Brian, last couple of days, Rich and I, so we're in uh, in Trentino Alto Adige already, and, well, we had a couple of nice bottles of lagrime which I was um, quite taken by. My kind of wine, it's dark, it's intense, real sort of dark chocolate flavours. I enjoyed it.
4: I'm gonna try and find something from the other end of the spectrum, some lighter, energetic, something light and tippy
3: tappy. No, not tippy tappy. Bo- Beaujolais style.
4: <laughs> Beaujolais is changing majorly these years. I'll tell you about that another time. No, I want to see some freshness in the in the wines here, in the same way that the Giro has now come back to life. What, would,
3: what will you do if you don't see any freshness? You sound. That sounds like a threat. You're going to start exacting, meeting out punishment, if you don't see freshness in the wine. Oh, you might going want to be going around the the cantinas tomorrow.
4: No, I, I know how to find. Uh, I'm I'm known to find good wines on any wine list. I'm sure we can we can pick up something nice. I really rate this area in general. Uh, I think the, the the lighter style wines, wines with good acidity. I'm not into the dark stuff as much as you are, Daniel. So oh, we'll just have oh. to meet halfway.
3: Oh, could we corkscrews at ten paces tonight?
2: I just like um nice Five. wine. <laughs> uh, I'll take I'll take your lead, I'll take your direction, chaps. I trust what your judgment. Gonna, what
3: are we gonna eat? Are we um I'm I've sort of lost my bearings, are we still gonna be in the sort of Spitzler um Canada? Yeah, I league? hope not. I hope neck not neck of the woods tonight. You are more of a mountain person than me. Yes.
2: Man of the Mountains. Well, listen, well, there's lots more ground to cover over the next few days with Brian, including so including
3: tomorrow morning, a bit of a challenge. Oh, yeah, a bit mountain, of a challenge. Which yeah. Brian doesn't know about, but Brian doesn't have to be involved, but the li- the listeners will hear about it in the
2: episode tomorrow. They will. In the meantime, thank you very much, Daniel. Thank you. Thank you very much and welcome
4: back, Brian. Cheers, Richard. Thanks, Daniel.